Good morning. We are glad you're here on a beautiful sunny day. Thank you for coming. We pray that you will benefit from our time together. Very thankful for those who are visiting. As always, we want you to know it's more than just a cliche, but we're thankful that you're here. We want to encourage you to come back. We're very grateful for all the visitors that come our way from week to week. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 16 in just a moment or two. Last week in our study, you'll remember the title of our lesson, How Will You Be Remembered? In our study today, I want to just maybe flip the script and ask this question. What will you remember? When you leave this world, what will you remember? The basis for our study today is taken from Luke 16, verse 25. When Abraham said to the rich man, Son, remember. There's something about the memory, that memory bank. If I understand the Scriptures correctly, the memories that we make in this life will follow us into the next life. It's one thing to ask. I think it's a fair question. How will you be remembered? We all want to be remembered favorably, to be well thought of. But at some point in time, we're going to leave this world, and then the question is, what will we remember? That being the case, let me just talk for a moment or two. First and foremost, if you look at Luke 16, beginning in verse 19, first there is the realization when we leave this world by way of departure, that will come as a result of our death. Now you remember many, many years ago, the psalmist asked the question, what man can live and not see death? Death, whether we like it or not, is a topic of discussion that we all have to have at some point. Because whether we like it or not, we are living in a world that is governed by time. And our lives here are incredibly brief compared to the eternal realm. James compared life to a vapor that appears for a little while, and then he said it vanishes away. You remember in 2 Timothy chapter 4 at verse 6, Paul in realizing the imminence of his death, the fact that he would die at the hands of Nero Caesar. Paul said, I'm already being offered. The time of my departure is at hand. Whether we like it or not, we will all depart this life unless the Lord comes first. But our departure, that will, that will occur. As the Hebrew writer said many years ago, it is appointed that a man wants to die. After this comes the judgment. When we depart this world, we are moving into a realm of the disembodied. In other words, when we leave this world, there will be a separation of the soul and the spirit. We're going to the world of the disembodied. Remember what James said back in James chapter 2 at verse 26? The body without the spirit is dead. Now I've heard a lot of folks in days gone by talk about how 
they've died, gone to heaven. Some have said that they've gone to hell. And then they want to come back and talk about what they have seen or heard. Well, biblically speaking, when you leave this world, you will not be returning. Now, I don't know what they heard. I don't know what they saw. I suspect it may have had to do with possibly anesthesia, drugs, maybe drink. I don't know. But I know this, biblically, when you die, you will not return to this earth. Again, listen to James. The body without the spirit is dead. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12 at verse 7, Solomon in chronicling the aging process, you remember down in verse 7 he said, When death occurs, the body returns to the dust from which it was taken. The Spirit, however, returns to God who gave it. Now, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 9, that God is the Father of our spirit, housed within this temporal body. Human flesh is an eternal spirit or soul. That soul or spirit will live forever somewhere. That body that is placed in the ground will one day rise from the dead. As Paul points out in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, there will be the resurrection and the, reuni the reuniting of the body with the Spirit. And you can read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So first there is the departure, and we're heading for the realm of the disembodied. Now somebody might ask the question, well, how do I know what a spirit's going to look like? How will I be able to identify other people? I can read about the rich man and Lazarus. And the Bible says that the rich man identified Lazarus. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. I remember some years ago talking to a buddy of mine that was battling terminal cancer. And we were talking about the what ifs when you leave this world. What's it going to be like? We talked about what will, what will it be like and how will we be able to identify one another in that spirit world? And again, I don't know. God didn't see fit to tell us. I do believe that we're going to be able to identify one another. And all the memories that we have, that we've made here on planet earth, they will follow us. So there is our departure via death. We're in the realm of the disembodied. But then I want you to think about another thing. We have a new dwelling place. We've got a new home. Now, the Bible says that when Lazarus, who was a beggar, and you remember the text tells us that his body was full of sores. He was laid at the gate of the rich man, desiring to be fed from the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. And the Bible tells us that Lazarus departed this world, that he died. He was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The Bible also says that the rich man died and was buried. So they both left this world, one's in the bosom of Abraham. But the Bible says regarding the rich man that being in Hades, in torment, he lifted up his eyes. And so 
they're in different dwelling places, aren't they? It's my conviction that Lazarus was in that Hadean realm known as paradise. In Luke 23, you remember in verse 42, one of the thieves said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Paradise and Abraham's bosom are one and the same. Then, of course, you remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul talked about how if we're absent from the body, we are present with the Lord. So, based upon what the Scriptures teach, Lazarus was in the presence of the Lord. But not so for the rich man. He's in Hades, the realm of the unseen. But the Bible says that he was in a place of torment. Now in 2 Peter chapter 2 at verse 4, Peter talks about the angels that sinned. God cast down to Hades, that is the Hadean realm. Literally in that verse, the word is Tartarus, T-A-R-T-A-R-U-S. That's the abode of the unrighteous. And Peter said that they were delivered in chains of darkness reserved for the judgment. Two completely different places. When you leave this world, the address that you leave behind will be left behind forevermore. You'll have a new dwelling. But you'll also have a new destiny. If you are a righteous person, you'll be in the presence of God you will have attained your goal. What's your goal? What's the goal that you have before you? Hopefully your goal is to get home, to be with God. Remember what Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 14, I press toward the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. As somebody who's tried to live for God, when we step out, in, when we step out into that next realm, we can say we're home. We've achieved our goal. We've gotten to be in the presence of the Lord. That which we've talked about, read about, thought about, prayed about, sang about, meditated about. We're now in the presence of God. And not just that, but we are in a glorified state, aren't we? You remember when Isaiah said back in Isaiah chapter 6 when he talked about how he saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up? In that context, Isaiah said, My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. We're going to be in the presence of God. We'll be in a good place. We will be among the redeemed and we will be at rest. As John said, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors. And their works do follow them. The flip side of that coin, though, what about the unrighteous? What about those who leave this world in an unprepared state? They didn't obey the gospel. They never responded favorably to the overtures of Scripture. When Jesus said, Come unto me, all you that labor. 
That door was closed. Refused to obey the gospel. Or here's somebody who at one time had obeyed the gospel, but they were unfaithful. They left their first love, went back into the world. What about their state? You remember Peter said it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. That's found in 2 Peter chapter 2. Those who leave this world in an unprepared state, they go to a place, called, a place of torment. Could I respectfully say they go to a place of terror? You just can't imagine. I can't begin to fathom what it would be like to step out into eternity unprepared to meet God. But now, what about our, rem our remembrances? You know, on the one hand, there is this realization that we're no longer here on planet Earth. But now we have gone to the next realm, the eternal realm. What kind of memories will flood my memory bank? What am I going to be thinking about? What will you be thinking about? The Bible really doesn't tell us what Lazarus was thinking about. He was in the bosom of Abraham. He was in a place of rest. He was among the redeemed of all the ages. But the Bible does talk about the thoughts of the rich man. And again, you remember he said, son, remember. That's perfect memory. You will be able to recall your life, how you lived, what you said, where you went. Now I want to just very quickly qualify this point. When I use terms like time, or spend in connection to eternity. You have to understand that I'm using that in an accommodative way. I'm using accommodative language. Why? Because in eternity, there is no time. We're not there to spend time. Time is a part of this life. You remember what the psalmist said, Psalm 90, Moses writing there? The days of our years might be 70, we might live to be 80. Well, we're bound by time in this life. When you leave this world, you will have lived X amount of years. But when you go into the next world, time is no more. You're not governed by time. And by the way, if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, in chapter 9, the Bible talks about how the dead know nothing. Now, I don't think what he's saying there is that we're oblivious to our state in eternity. But what I think he's saying is that those of us who leave this world step out into the Hadean realm, whether it's paradise or Tartarus, 
We don't know what's going on with regard to the affairs of planet Earth. When you leave here, you will know nothing about what's going on on the other side. Just a fact. So to understand that time, time will be no more when you leave this world. So what will you think about? There's some things that emerge out of a study of Luke 19, or rather Luke 16, that I think help us to put into perspective, maybe, our thinking. Number one, our treasures. The Bible, in a very graphic way, Jesus in His narration of this parable, or rather, I don't think it was really a parable, I think it was an actual event. But nonetheless, when Jesus narrates this story, you remember He talked about the rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen. And the Bible says he fared sumptuously every day. The footnote in the New King James says he lived in luxury. This guy's well off. Done very well by the standards of the world. And then on the other end of the economic, I guess on the other end of the economic strata, you have a fellow by the name of Lazarus, and he was a beggar. His body's full of sores, laid at the gate of the rich man, desiring to be fed with the crumbs that fell from his table. Now here's a question. Why didn't the rich man, why didn't he try to help this fellow? Was he not moved with compassion? Did he even care? I mean, here's a guy that has obvious physical problems. The dogs are licking his sores. And he just wants a small crumb to nourish his body. You remember what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 4? That, that which is required of a steward is that a man be found faithful. When we step out into eternity, we can reflect upon how we used our treasures. Did we use them for noble purposes? Did we try to help other people or were we stingy and tight? I think that's a fair question, isn't it? Didn't the Apostle Paul say in the long ago that we're to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ? And didn't Jesus say, I was hungry and what'd you do? You gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and what'd you do? He said, you gave me something to drink. Naked, you clothed me. Now look at the rich man and Lazarus. You remember in James chapter 2, James emphasizes the importance of faith and works. How they work hand in hand. And he said, if a brother or sister comes to you and they're destitute of daily food and clothing, and your response is, depart in peace, be warmed and filled. In other words, you wish them well, but you don't do anything for them. The point is, you're not what you ought to be. Why? Because faith and works go hand in hand. 
Number one, our treasures. But then number two, how we treat other people. Both of these guys are in eternity. The Bible tells us that the rich man neglected his fellow man, didn't he? Could he have helped him? Yes, he could have. Did he have the economic means to do so? And again, the answer would be absolutely, he did. But he did nothing. When you leave this world, when I leave this world, we're going to have the... We're going to have the opportunity to reflect upon how we treated others. How do you treat your family? I'm talking about your own kin. Those that we would say are bone of your bones and flesh of your flesh. How do you treat them? You kind, loving, caring, compassionate. Do you demonstrate agape love, that sacrificial, sacrificial love that Jesus talked about? When they mess up in life, do you exercise patience and long-suffering? Are you forbearing? Are you hard, caustic, ugly, mean-spirited? I mean, how do you treat your family members? How do you treat your friends? A fellow said one time, a friend is one before whom I may think aloud. Aren't you thankful for friends? The Bible says there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Eternity will afford us the opportunity to reflect. How do we treat people that we dealt with on a daily basis? How do you treat people that you deal with at school every day? At the office? On the job site? How do you treat people at the grocery? The gas station? Let me ask this question. How do you treat people who are in fellowship with you? That is, how do you treat your fellow Christian? Are you kind, tenderhearted, forgiving, compassionate? Or as Paul said, do you bite and devour one another? Are you ugly? hateful, looking for the first opportunity to just rake them over the coals? Is that how you treat your fellow brother or sister in Christ? When you leave this world, you're going to have, and again, understand this is accommodative language here, you're going to have time to do a lot of thinking. So how do you treat people? Let me tell you another thing that stands out. If I understand anything about this text, what it really says to me is truth is incredibly important. The two men that Jesus spoke of, 
They're in different places because one loved the truth and one did not. It seems to me that those who leave this world outside of Christ, whereas in life truth may have meant nothing to them, when they step out into eternity, it's going to take on a whole new light. But here's the catch. Too late. Should have thought, should have thought about that on this side. You remember Jesus in his narration, the rich man said, I beg you, Father Abraham, send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm tormented in this flame. Can't begin to imagine the pain of the rich man. And Jesus said there was a great gulf fixed. No crossing over. You're not going to be able to just migrate back and forth. But the rich man said to Abraham, he wanted him to send Lazarus to his father's house. You know why? I've got five brothers there so that he might testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Oh, no, 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 no. But if one go to them from the dead, he said, They'll repent. Abraham said, If they will not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. The rich man thought differently about the truth, didn't he? There was nothing that he could do to change his state. Not one thing. But he was concerned about those on the other side, wasn't he? He had five brothers and he knew that they were right behind him. And unless they made changes in life, they would soon join him. When you leave this world, will you have educated those that you love about the gospel of Christ? And then secondly, will you have exemplified the gospel of Christ before them? Remember what Paul said, let no man despise your youth, but be an example of the believers in word, in love, spirit, faith, and purity, etc. What about your example? Would it be possible for you to leave this world in an unprepared state and then you begin to think out, on the plains of eternity. My children, they're headed here. This is where they're going to be. And behind them, the grandchildren. Or maybe I got some brothers and sisters on the other side, and that's where they're this, this is where they're headed too. 
I want you to listen to what Solomon said many years ago. Buy the truth and sell it not. Truth may not be important to you today if you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian. But I assure you there will come a day when truth will resonate in your memory bank. Imagine if you can. You're in eternity. And you're out there with the rich man. No crossing over, no coming back, no changing your state. That's forever. Did you know that? And we use that word loosely sometimes, but forever is just that. Forever. Flip side is, if you're in that place called paradise, you're at rest. All is well. You're in a place of joy and gladness. You're in a good place, a gracious place. You're in the presence of God and all the pains and struggles and trials and tribulations that you experienced this side of eternity, they are gone forevermore. What will you remember when you leave this world? I can't answer that for you. But I got a good idea that you know exactly what you'll be thinking. You think people like Lazarus, who are in that abode called paradise, you think there are any regrets there? Regrets that, oh, I didn't do this, didn't do that for the cause. No regrets. But on the other side, I just wonder how many people will be in eternity one day. What they wouldn't give for just one more invitation song. Just one. They'd be on the front row before the first few words were sung. Those who are unfaithful. What would they give for one more opportunity to ask God to forgive them, to repent? So what are you going to remember? If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I encourage you to come to Christ to understand that He is the giver of life. Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. If you're here today and you're not in Christ, I know you believe in Him, you wouldn't be here. Would you repent? As Peter said in Acts 2 verse 38, quoted by Luke, would you be baptized into Christ so that all your sins can be washed away? You can start a new life in Christ. If you're here today, maybe your life's not what it ought to be. You know that. And in your heart of hearts, you're thinking, you know what, today is the day. It's time for me to get it right. Look, you need to get it right because there'll be a day when you can't get it right. It'll be too late. Paul said, today's the day of salvation. Won't you come as we stand and sing?